Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome to episode two of Infertile AF. Before we get started, I just wanted to thank everybody from the bottom of my heart for tuning into the first episode. I can't thank you guys enough. The response was bonkers and the amount of emails and messages and DMs and everything I got was insane. We have so many women who are coming out and want to tell their stories and help other people. So that's the whole point of this. And again, thank you guys tremendously for all of your participation because this is truly a community and a group effort. So on today's episode, I talked to Jean, who's an amazing woman. She's an actress. She's a comedian. She's currently on the show AP Bio, which is an awesome comedy on NBC. Definitely go check it out if you haven't already. She also performs in LA at the UCB Theater on Friday nights in a show called Soundtrack. And as you'll see in this episode, she's hilarious, she's honest, she gets raw, we have an awesome conversation, and she tells her story, which includes five miscarriages, three failed IVFs, one failed adoption, and then there is a amazing kind of surprise ending to her whole story. So... Without further ado, this is Jean's infertility story. Hi, thank you so much for doing this. I just want to start by saying that I loved you instantly. We don't know each other personally, but we have a mutual friend in common. And you sent me an email when you heard about this podcast and I was looking for people to talk to. And one of the things that I loved was that you said it all needs to be talked about a lot more and not in a saccharine gloppy way. And then you wrote, oh shit, I hope your podcast isn't saccharine and gloppy. Oh no. (laughs) And I was like, I love her and I need to talk to her immediately. So thank you. And it's great to you know, finally have this conversation. I'm so grateful to have it too. And I'm really glad that you're not gloppy or (laughs) I guess people who are saccharine and gloppy don't even know it. So they would be like, it's not, it's just a really touching, awesome way, you know, but I could tell by your tone and the friend we have in common that um, that wasn't going to be an issue. But I I feel like most of the self-help books or anytime I've looked for anything, it's been extremely gross to me anyway, and not real and not relatable. So yeah, that was my problem too. When I was going through, you know, I had, I went through IVF for four years before we had our son. And that was the problem was I couldn't find anything that I could relate to. I thought like all the Facebook groups were like really kind of exhausting and so many numbers and like little like abbreviations for things that I didn't know what they were talking about. And the books were really weird and some were like very religious and nothing against, you know, everything for everybody. But for me personally, I just couldn't find something to relate to. So that's what I'm hoping to do with this is like, just have a more, not casual, because this is a very serious and sometimes sad topic, but to just talk about it like, you know, with like you talk about it with your girlfriends, you know, like a no bullshit conversation that is a little bit more relatable. So you had told me when we first started talking was, you know, just the gist of your story basically is that you've had five miscarriages, three failed IVFs, one failed adoption and one successful. So you do have a new baby in the home. So 
Spoiler yes. alert for anything, <laughs> but you know, we'll get into all of that. But I just wanted to kind of give the the rundown of you know, you've been through a lot. Yeah, that's my <laughs> infertility bio. <laughs> exactly. Your resume. So yes. you do have a baby named Bruce. So tell me about him. How's Bruce? Uh, he's so, so awesome. He's got a very uh, laid back disposition. He just, he's 10 and nine and a half weeks old. He's almost 10 weeks old. So he's really smiling and laughing now and um, he's sleeping a little bit more. So, and he's just in this really awesome cooing phase where the, the, in my experience, the very first newborn thing is like, they're kind of like animals, like hungry, desperate, you know, like they don't know what's happening. And now he's just so charming. And he's also pretty laid back, which is a godsend. Why all the religion? I'm not religious, but after all we've been through, to have a kid who was also colicky or extra challenging would have been extra challenging. So Bruce is, he's a miracle. He really is. And I, a week before we met him, I wouldn't have thought I would be saying anything like that, but he's great. Okay. So I want to get into all of that. And by the way, I just saw a picture of Bruce on Instagram and he's so cute and he's got this (laughs) spiky little black hair. Like he's just the cutest. Yeah. He was born with a full head of hair. It's it's really awesome. Yeah. Well, so tell me how did this, you know, fertility journey begin for you growing up? Did you always know you want to be a mom and have kids? I didn't really, I guess I just sort of assumed I would. I'm from a middle-class family in New Jersey and I just kind of figured it would work out that way. And I didn't really plan much of my life. I kind of did like the Herald and the Purple Crayon version where I was like, I'm going to go study acting. I guess I'll go to Chicago. I guess I'll stay in Chicago and do improv. So I, I never really had a a great plan, but I always assumed I would have a family. And I always felt like I would be a mother. But I was married young. I, I didn't say this earlier, but I got married in my early 20s and divorced mm-hmm. when I lived in Chicago. So then in that time, I would guess I was 30 when I got divorced and then I was like, oh, I'm gonna, how, how's this magical family going to happen? I'm single. I was like, oh, I'll, I, I just thought it would happen quickly, but I didn't meet my husband until I was 38. Okay. And we got married when I was 39. So then it was like, oh, we both wanted to have a family. But my sister had gotten pregnant. She's three years older than I am. And she also got married around 39 or 40 and got pregnant at 40. So I just assumed it would work out because it had for her and we have similar cycles or similar, you know, bodies. And yeah, she got pregnant like the first try and then had our nephew who's seven now. So I had been on the pill and off the pill and back on the pill. And then I just went off when we got married and we didn't really exactly try. And then when we kind of tracked ovulation stuff, I got pregnant the first time. And then I think I turned 40. Yeah, I turned 40 when I was pregnant that first time because I remember when my mom had turned 40, she had this apron that said, I'd rather be 40 than pregnant. Like it was a gag gift. And I remember <laughs> thinking like, I'm so glad. Because in the 70s, it was just like, ugh, 40 oh, sucks, yeah. but pregnant sucks more. And I was like, 40's great. And I'm so <laughs> grateful. And then- That's um, hilarious. Did you love the apron? <laughs> Does she have it? I have a picture of it. Oh my God, please send it to um, me. Put it up on okay. my Instagram when this comes out. <laughs> it's really cute of her. She's so cute. So yeah, and then I had a miscarriage and I just didn't have, most of my friends had kids who were like nine by then or you know had had kids in their early 30s. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know of many people who had fertility issues. And a lot of my best friends don't have kids. 
who are women. So I didn't have intimate conversations with my closest friends about that. Mm-hmm. And then at 12 weeks, we decided to tell everybody, which will echo in future <laughs> stories. But like, And then I started spotting and then had a miscarriage at 12 weeks. Oh. And um, it was just really so devastating. Yeah. yeah. And so what did you do to cope from that? How were things between you and your husband? Like that can obviously be really hard on a relationship. Were you guys in sync or was it causing issues? We were really in sync. My husband is so strong in tough times. He is extremely uh, able to weather emotional, any sort of crisis. I feel like he gets really calm and centered. So what I think happened is we kind of put a bubble around ourselves because the people I hadn't told, I didn't want to say, hey, I was pregnant and I had a miscarriage and I didn't want to share this bad news because it felt like a special kind of, it wasn't like I broke my leg, help me out. It was like, I felt shame about it. Um, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I guess <laughs> there's it's really complicated. So yeah. I think we isolated ourselves as a couple. We were okay, but I mean, I tried to go on an audition like four days after. I was like, I'm going to just bounce back because... And I was out of my mind. I was so depressed. I barely put makeup. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to wear that much makeup because this is a weird choice. And then I got to the, uh, the room where you sit before you go in for the audition. And I was like, uh-oh, I'm going <laughs> to cry in here. And everyone was looking at me like, what, what are you, why are you wearing all black? And like, what have you done? <laughs> so did you get the part? Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. And it was actually kind did of a- cry? Uh, no, but I went in. It was a weird show where it was like, it was going to be mocking a reality show. So I was going to be like a fake crew member. And I went in with this director and I was like, the the best thing is I would be a crew member. Like crew members hate actors and I hate actors. And I just like went into this dark place about how acting is so fake and everything is so fake. And I think he, and he was like, what does your last name mean? Like he was just trying to like change the subject. And anyway, I'm like, oh, what are last names? What's the point? Like I just, it was, it wasn't a, I didn't have to memorize anything. It was just like, let's have a conversation. It was the worst day of my life to have a conversation. I, oh, like, no. I can make anything dark and rainy. Right. So I got in the car and sobbed. And my husband was like, yeah, he had said, don't go. And I was like, I got it. I, I was really focused on bouncing back. I feel like for the first three times I had miscarriages, I was like, I, this is not going to stop me. And then by the third one, I was like, oh, I, I have permission to really grieve and really be sad. And that was yeah. helpful. Let's talk about that a little bit because I think it's so interesting and it is, you know, you mentioned having shame before. That's, that is one reason that I think that people don't talk about this more is like, you kind of feel there's like an embarrassment. There, there's such a mix of all these different emotions. There's like a, what did I do wrong? Oh my God, I shouldn't have binge drank in college. Or, you know, you start thinking, looking uh. at your past behaviors and I shouldn't have done that and I never should have gone on that trip. Maybe I was exposed to something weird. You know, like you're yeah. It's so mysterious how these things happen sometimes when you don't really have the answers. I think as women, we have a tendency to really like flagellate ourselves and like, you know, blame ourselves and get into this shame spiral. And it's, I do it myself too. And I did it while I was going through it. But why do you think that is? I think there's a relation to like period shame. I, I, I came from a very, I don't know, shame heavy house. I'd be very like out of the fifties, like don't talk about it. Like I didn't even want to ask for medicine for cramps. Like I remember my mom saying, like, you could take Excedrin if you have to. And I was like, 
never mind. I'll just oh. bear it. <laughs> really? Like, yeah, I, because it is periodish and blood, you know, like in the women's bathroom is, I feel like there's this, to me, it was kind of attached to that in a way where it's not like a broken arm that's like sporty or cool, or it's specifically feminine and mysterious. And also the fact that, yeah, that I had possibly caused this by smoking or flying. I had had a job before when I was pregnant where I had to travel some and everybody, I was seeing a midwives and they were like, it's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nope. And I was doing these kind of presentations and I was like, all that energy, I can't give any energy out into the world, like acting. And I have to just focus on this. And I had like, I don't know, I came up with a lot of different crazy ideas for why it had happened. Besides the fact that I was 39 and my eggs weren't good or, right. or viable. Yeah. And that's the thing is nobody really sat me down and said, you know, at 35, it kind of plummets. And then at 39, well, you're pretty much fucked. <laughs> and like, it's yeah. so funny how like that knowledge just is not out there. You know, you're, whole, you're taught your whole life to be scared of getting pregnant and you think it's going to happen so easily. And then, you know, the fact of the matter is scientifically, it's actually super, super hard. The fact that it happens at all is like a miracle. Yeah, the fact that it worked for my sister is a miracle. Yeah, yeah. It really sucks and it really still makes me mad how little I knew about how my body worked until until then, like right. until it, it was kind of too late. Right. Um, and yeah, you, you wrote a blog. It was called Griefing, right? Yeah. And you sent me one of the blog posts, which was so good and so funny. And you know, one of the things you wrote, you wrote, I felt competitive about it, about like going through IVF or getting pregnant. You said, I'm young for my age. I'm a free spirit. I still don't color my hair. Something, something <laughs> why this would work. So we signed up and I thought that was really great because it's true. It was like, I'm young for my age. Like I remember having, you know, they called it a geriatric pregnancy and I was like, what? Yeah. yeah and there, it just seems like there's some sort of magic in the same way. The reason I started writing that blog is the third. So after five miscarriages, we decided we would try for other help. And we tried IVF and that didn't work twice. And then the third time, oh, my father died. He got cancer and died very quickly. Uh, Bile duct cancer, which is just kind of awful. Like just, they can't find it until it's too late. Oh, uh, thanks. Yeah. It's, it, it was so traumatic. And I was in the middle of an IVF cycle, stopped it, went home. He died in like, nine days. Mm. And then I came back and we tried, we were like, let's try one last time. And I was like, dad's dead spirit will miraculously, I I don't know. I was really like really reaching like this is, this has to work now because I'm so sad. And then when that didn't work, I was like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) no, no, (laughs) like, right. That's, that was the one. So what were, were the doctors telling you anything specific about why it wasn't working out other than, you know, your age and egg quality? Or was there any sort of thing that they wanted you to try? No, I also, I didn't have, I mean, I saw midwives the first time. I, I didn't have like a regular GP at the time because I had been, I had had health care through work and then didn't have health care. And I was also like unemployed a lot during these like miscarriage years. So it was kind of just a dicey all around, all around depressing time. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I had seen an OB 
I don't remember them saying anything. I saw this guy, Dr. Wu, who was this famous like baby doctor in Glendale who since retired, he was like an 88 year old Chinese man who was like really amazing. But oh, yeah, that sounds promising. I would go to Dr. Wu. Yeah. Dr. Wu, yeah. Our, our midwives recommended him. <laughs> but at one point he was getting old and close to retirement. To be honest, I had a miscarriage like the fourth one or something. And I called the office and said, Hey, I had a miscarriage. And I came in to see him as like a follow-up. And he was like, how was your sleep and how was your eating? And I was like, well, it's fine. I had a miscarriage. He's like, I know you've had miscarriages. How is your sleeping and eating? And I was like, I had an, this one. Mm-hmm. I have one. He was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And I was just like, Oh shit. Like it, that wasn't great. <laughs> I, I did not drive with Dr. Wu. No, I, I, if if I could have done it all over again, I would have gotten a better, like I would have had a relationship with a, a caregiver through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. When I went to IVF, I was like, well, these people will cover all the other stuff. So I don't need to see a GP and these, or, you know, like another OB and these guys, but they were, they're selling their product and they were like, well, you know, you, your eggs are probably old, but you never know, you know, and I just really hung on to the, you never know part. And I was like, okay. Right. I'm going to try this. Right. So what were some of the other things you tried to try? I did try acupuncture, a friend recommended, but I think it was kind of a sporty, I think she was new at it. And I think I needed a place that was like more wind chimey. And this was just like in a, like sports rehab kind of place. (laughs) More wind chimey. I love that. I can picture exactly what you mean. (laughs) This was very um, generic. And she was young, the woman who did it, and I don't think she had ever been pregnant, so that didn't help me feel like she would have a connection to understanding my body. I don't know. And then I had a miscarriage while that was happening, and I was just like, well, fuck that. I, I, I feel like I was all over the place. I yeah. was depressed for sure. Yeah, and it's so um, hard. Like, you're fledgling. You're, you know, there's, it's like you're rudderless. And I re- when you said you were, like, grasping at something or looking for some, like, I remember feeling that, too, as, like, just some sort of sign or some sort of something from the universe that would tell me like, what should I be doing right now? Cause there's really no roadmap. And that's, I think one of the hardest parts about it is like, there's so much of it that's out of your control and you just are like, it's not like studying for a test where it's like, here's the answers. It's like, there's really, the answers are so different for everybody. Yeah, definitely. When you were saying that, it made me think that in our lives, especially approaching 40, especially with the internet and all, I mean, I guess in the next generation, they're not going to be like, now that we have the internet, but in my generation, we didn't always have it. In yeah, our same, right. So to have all these resources, I'm used to being able to prepare myself for experiences. So there was also an element of like, in terms of shame, being this old and being helpless and like not having any idea, like just feeling like I was just rolling dice which also reminds me of a very sad thing I started to do, which is play Yahtzee. I, I wrote a little, I did like a storytelling show in New York about, and I wrote about this and I forgot to keep writing about it, but I got kind of a weirdly addicted to playing Yahtzee by myself. What? <laughs> Why? Which, because I think I was so overwhelmed with things that were out of my control and like, and I would just like play I don't know, to just get out of my head. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was which like is a the real- saddest game. It, it, it's Sorry? It was like a release for you. 
Is this the, I guess so. playing the like online version or like the kind with like the actual cup and the dice and you're like sitting at a table, like shaking the cup with dice in it? I played at a table and it got so embarrassing that I would roll them onto my computer pad, like the little case my computer goes on because it was softer and my husband couldn't hear me upstairs rolling. I mean, I literally was rolling dice in my life and then going home to relieve, like for relief being like, I'll just roll some more dice. Oh, that's Um, meta. Did you have like superstitions about it? Like what were you doing as your, or was it just like the act of playing it that was like- I think the act of playing it distracted me from- Because when I wasn't playing it, I was like, why don't I have a job as an actress? Why doesn't my body work? Like everything also seemed like I needed to start from zero. Like I need to get a job. I need to have a baby. I need to turn this around or bounce back. Or I just didn't feel like I had anything sort of carrying me along. Mm-hmm. So, but it wasn't heroin. It was just a little board game. <laughs> But it was just embarrassing. I just really, yeah, I was really depressed. It's so interesting. So tell me about when you guys decided to actually start the IVF. I think the fifth miscarriage, yeah, we decided my body wasn't able to do it. And then we went to to a seminar. Mm -hmm. We went to one in Beverly Hills and one in Pasadena. And they're just ridiculous. It's like a free food. Like, I mean, we're both... My husband and I are really into free food. Sure. <laughs> we're basic. We're basic. Um, but it's just this, it's a sales pitch. It's just such a bummer. We really got carried away by wanting to being competitive with the other people. Like you read the thing I had said earlier, like there, there's this, this weird room full of people who everyone's in the same boat. And I'm like, yeah, I can, I, I can win this or something. I don't yeah. know. I feel like you were like buying a timeshare or something or like trying out for yes. an idol or like... Yeah, exactly, exactly. And because they could do chromosome testing, I felt like we had a better shot. I was like, oh, all we need to do is find the embryos that work and put those in. So we'll just do that instead of take chances with any old pregnancy. And I just really also went into it not knowing what the whole process was. And when they talk about it clinically, it's like, oh, you you will have these injections and then a trigger shot and then we'll transfer the embryo and everything just seems really smooth. But it's... Mm it's really upsetting. And then again, it's like after having five losses, I didn't want to, I felt like I had fatigued. My friends was like, I'm having another hard time. These shots are hurting, you know, like there's only so much bad news. I felt like I I was entitled to. So there was like some more isolation there too. And also it felt private. I didn't want to share it with people until we had some good news. Right. I totally, totally know what you mean. So you also wrote about the drugs and you, you know, you said the drugs are terrible. If you would have asked me a year ago, I would have cocked my head and said really high. It's actually not that bad, but it is that bad. So tell me about the experience of the shots for you. And did you ever have to give yourself shots in like a strange place? Like I had to do it once in like a gas station bathroom on my way to the airport. There's like other needles in the in the trash can that were probably like heroin ever. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get arrested. There's probably like cops stationed outside. When I come out, I'm going to like, me. <laughs> Did you have anything like that? I didn't have to do that. I was home most of those times and a friend had recommended a different meditation thing that was like this Australian woman. So I would do the shots and then go upstairs. I would listen to this like Brazilian music that I liked, mm. eat a piece of chocolate and then go upstairs. And there was this Australian woman who was like, 
your ovaries are a fertile garden. My accent is the worst. So oh, that was good. That was good. Your body is this garden. It's like beautiful, growing flowers. So I was like cynically like, this is such bullshit. But like, okay, put that aside. Imagine my body is a fertile garden. So I would just lie down and listen to that and then just be like, okay. <laughs> but there were, it got, I remember one day I went back to, because they check your blood every other day or something or your levels. And the woman who was taking the blood was like foreign. And she was like, she had had a bad night. I was like, how are you? And she's like, having a hard time. I'm doing work. And then the women's do all the work and keep the home. And it's so hard to be a woman. And I just started crying. I'm like, yeah. Like, I didn't even know this woman at all. But I didn't, someone else later told me that by that time, by day, whatever, six, your extra scent, like your hormones have been affected. I, they didn't really walk me through the emotional journey of it. They were like, this is what happens. Your eggs will, de- you know, we'll, we'll give you all these shots. All these eggs will develop and then we'll extract them. But there was no discussion of this is going to make you feel sensitive or it's going to be easy to give shots the first few days and then your skin gets sensitive. I didn't right. even realize that that was because of the drugs. I thought I was becoming weak. <laughs> yeah. Or there's no one that says, oh, and you're going to be batshit crazy. <laughs> like you're going to be yes. crying in the first commercials. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. In retrospect, it really messed with my head. I mean, I was like pretty cray at the, during the whole time. I mean, I don't know how so I think my friend, my poor friends and family and my husband in particular, like I think they were just like, woo-woo, like let's uh, keep it moving here because I was just insane. It made me insane. It's too hard. Yeah. It's so hard, everybody. <laughs> it is. And anybody listening who's going through this right now, like just know that you're not alone. Like it's, you know, talk to somebody and it just helps to, to talk about it. Yeah. I felt like the more I reached out, then people were like, Oh, I know this person did IVF or I did have a miscarriage. And I was like, Oh, why didn't anyone tell me right away? But it's because nobody tells anybody. So sometimes you have to start a conversation. Yeah. You know, you know, what was a, a moment for me recently that really like struck a chord when I was thinking about starting this podcast and then this was one of the moments that kind of cemented it. And I was like, oh, I have to, was when Michelle Obama came out and said that she had done IVF with Sasha and Malia. And oh my God, I could not love Michelle Obama more. Um, She is just the goddess of all goddesses and the best person. But it made me realize like, oh my God, if she didn't even talk about this when she was in the White House for eight years, but it just goes to show how hard it is to talk about this. Yeah, it does invite a lot of judgment because there were plenty of people who were like, I don't know if you got this, but with miscarriages, like, well, God, you know, it's God's plan or weird shit where you're like, no one said that that to me. I would have punched him in the face. Oh, or like, they're not all meant to be, or what's meant to be is meant to be in this kind of plan that, like, which which implies like maybe you aren't meant to be a parent right now or or just deeper stuff, or maybe I was inferring all that, but there there were there were judgments so. Putting that out there does invite some unsolicited advice and yeah. opinions. And and I also, when you were just saying that, it reminded me that when other people had gone through it but had a kid, I just couldn't. And some people might feel this way too. Like I know that Jean, whoever had all these losses, but now their adoption went through. So good for you. But for me, I don't have a fucking baby, and it's really hard. Like there, were, I, I didn't want yes. to talk to anybody who had a baby. I didn't want to go to any baby showers. Yeah. I I really dropped out uh, of that. And that's a lot of social time in your 
thirties and forties for women. Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard. You know, there's, you feel like a jealousy towards people that make it seem so easy. And then on the flip side, you know, um, I don't know if this is the point you were trying to make a little bit too, but when, once you do have a baby talking to people who are still struggling and they're like, oh, whatever, you're, you got your happy ending. Like, you don't know what I'm going through. And I think that that's one of the sensitive points of like doing this podcast is like, I'm hoping to cover stories that have happy endings and also don't have happy endings because I do want to show the range of like the different journeys that people have when they're going through this. Like, yes, you've got your Bruce and I have my boy and my nine-year-old daughter as well, but we still went through the shit and it's worth, you know, talking about. Yeah. By the time before we got, we had been waiting to adopt for almost two years. So we were having a conversation this fall, my husband, Brian and I like, okay, so we're probably just not going to have kids because we're getting older and we haven't been picked because we put our profiles out there and nobody responded. And it's like, okay, so this is done now too. Like, this is our last chance. Mm -hmm. We're not going to wait 10 years, you know? And the last IVF thing too, like, oh, my body is definitely not going to be able to do this. Right. Okay. We're, we're not the people with the happy endings. Or I think the hard thing about talking to people along the way who do have kids is like, well, this didn't work, this didn't work. And then this did work. Right. So there's this idea like that'll work for me too, but it's so different for everybody. Definitely. Um, and then I feel like we were just like, nothing works for us. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I definitely want to talk about adoption, which you guys ended up going through. But before we get into that, if you don't mind, can you tell me, there was a part of your story that was was just heart, one of you know a heartbreaking moment where you went for your transfer and you guys oh, yeah. thought you had two. Correct me if I'm wrong. You thought you had two healthy embryos, right? And so on the way there, you and your husband were like, "Should we do one or should we do two? I don't know." And you were kind of trying to decide, and it was like a very hopeful and happy moment. And then you went into the room, and then the doctor yeah, walked in. And tell yeah, me what. Tell me what happened. They were supposed to have a, like a doctor consultation where you say we want to transfer one or two. And they we hadn't gotten the chromosome testing back yet, but the embryos had lit like five embryos were good. And then they, they like day two, three survived. And by day five, only two survived. So we were driving over there in the morning for this transfer going like maybe one or two, like maybe we should try for twins and we don't know, but we'll have this consultation with the doctor and, uh, you know, and then we got there and they prepped me for the transfer. So they put the like gown on and the socks and the hat thing. And then they were like, Oh wait, you do have to have that, that, uh, consultation. So we went to this room in the back that we hadn't been into before. And he came in kind of clinically and was like, just so you know, none of them were viable. So we're not able to move forward at this time. And the tone of voice oh my God. was like, I'm going to make this as positive as possible. But I, so it's kind of confusing. Like, wait, what? Like I'm in this gown. Yeah. So they had made a mistake because they didn't have the consultation first or yes. by not calling us at home. The fact that we had to drive there. Yes. Thinking you're going to have the fucking transfer. And then yeah. they're like, oops, sorry. I mean, that must've, you must've been gutted. That's just. I, it was so awful. I sobbed. I, cause we didn't, we got some help. Like it's so expensive. And that was the end of the line. Like we thought that was the end of the line driving home. Mm-hmm. So I just sobbed. So I had never cried that hard in my life because it was the first time in my life where I felt like something was completely unavailable, like that, that was over, that was done. I couldn't Mm -hmm. fix it. I couldn't go back. I couldn't make myself extra healthy. 
But then luckily we got to try two more times and I had that feeling again a year later. <laughs> oh my God. That sounds so bitter. No, um, it's I was it's true. It's real talk. And you know, there's another part of your blog that was so good and so well written where you just talked about like you, you know, finding out that every period you ever had was for nothing. You're getting gray pubic hairs and everything's starting to go away. There's no diet that can help you, no mint tea meditation that can make time go backwards. You miss this, like someone who never got to go to the top of the Twin Towers. It's done forever and it's all different now. Oh, that gave me like full body chills. It's so I, sad and it's so You emailed true. that to me. Yeah, I I cried rereading it. I had forgotten I wrote that. And it's I was like, so oh yeah, powerful. it still makes me sad. Yeah, it sucks. It's so devastating. And there's no... There, my mom had two babies. She couldn't relate. I didn't know who to relate to. I felt like... Yeah. I did feel like a failure, especially because in some ways we had tried so hard in so many different ways and it didn't work. So that's failure, right? Like right. that's how I thought. Yeah. And did you have that thing, which is how I thought too, and a therapist finally helped me work through this, but where it's like, I'm a good person. You know, why, why is this happening to me? You know, you start to feel like, wait, but I'm, I'm a good person. Like, I, I mean, well, I put good out into the world. I recycle. Yeah. I'm nice to people, you know? And one thing that she said to me was, well, you know, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And I was like, oh, fuck. Right. You know, it was like, oh. and that helped shift my perspective. You know, it was a, a tough pill to swallow, but it was like, oh yeah, life's not fair. Yeah. And it's, it's good to be reminded that, again, that we don't have any control over it. It's not anything you did. You do good. You are a good person. And this sucks mm -hmm. at the same time. It doesn't mean that you're, that you failed in some way or you could have done anything. Right. So tell me about the adoption Aww. process. How did you guys even know where to begin? Well, friends of ours had, there was a couple who had done IVF. I think they tried once and it didn't work, but they adopted a son. So we asked them, and I remember she had said to me when I started IVF, she was like, just go right to adoption. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah. I felt like I don't want to do that. I felt resistant to it. And also my, it was after my dad had died and I just felt like this isn't a substitute for having a natural baby. This is a different whole thing. I want to wait. But then sure enough, it takes two years. Like it, it, it doesn't have to, but it did for us. So the sooner you get started, the better. Mm -hmm. So we went to another seminar, which P.S., they only had free donuts. The IVF seminars have much better food because they make <laughs> a lot more money. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Did you get a timeshare, though, while you're at it? Yeah, so we went there, and again, they're selling a service. It's It's complicated. The lawyer spoke for a while and was very optimistic. And other friends who adopted said, and this is true, the good thing about adoption is eventually eventually, you'll have a baby. If you want to have a family, it will work out. It might take two years or even, I know some people have waited five years, but it's not like rolling the dice in any way. It's just a matter of time. But it sounded like it would be quick. And again, I was like, we're the coolest people in this room easily. So this is going to happen in like a week, no <laughs> doubt. Um, we're younger than some of the people. Some of the people are weirdos. Come to find out we are weirdos, I guess, or either you just have no control over 
who picks you. So in this setup, we were we made a profile, sort of like a dating profile, and then they send it out. the 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 birth mothers reach out through they see ads for this place through whatever online or through there are a lot of different resources, different advertising, and then they they pick the the parents that they want. Right. So is the profile, is it online or did you have to do, because I talked to another friend who went through adoption and they had to make, they had to create a, like a physical book, you know, like a photo book that like told their whole story that they would give to this agency. And then the birth mothers would look through all the books. Yeah. This is more of a pamphlet. Okay. I guess it's halfway. I've seen those books too. This is like halfway, I guess. Okay. But it was Um, like something, like something tangible. It was four pages. Yeah. And they were like, we mail them out, we FedEx them and they're wrapped with a pink bow. I think that what bothers me in retrospect about adoption is that you think that it's going to be this like beautiful, magical, like they unwrap this and they choose you and then you, you go meet them and it, you're, you have this relationship for the third trimester of the pregnancy and you're there for the birth. And, and a couple came in who had adopted and they had a very successful story. So they brought this baby in the room, which is also like, holy shit, a baby. Look at it. It happens. It's, there's a baby. A and real it looks life like baby. them. Yeah. Like this is going to happen, which is like bringing kind of in rude, a- actually, in Totally. It's like bringing like a prime rib to people who are starving to death. Like, look at this delicious meal. Right. So- the truth of the matter is everyone who's entering into adoption from the, well, most of the people are, I can really only speak for myself, but are pretty desperate. Like they've tried other things and they can't have children naturally and they really want this. And the birth mothers are not these women who are like, oh, I can't wait to find a, a person to pass this baby onto. Like they want, they want to be able to parent, but they can't afford it. And they're, they're in desperate circumstances. So the, the relationship when we were chosen this year, it was very challenging. The relationship is really tricky where we were calling and texting back and forth with this young 23-year-old woman in Michigan. And I, I was just like, I, I'm using too much, too many punctuation marks. Like, I don't know how to text with a 23-year-old. I'm like, as old as her mother. do I send to like... <laughs> exactly. If you don't mind, let's wait. I want to like unpack this a little bit more. So you you said that you guys didn't get chosen for a little while. Is that right? Yeah, almost two years, a year and a okay. half, I guess. Yeah. So what are you doing in this point? You're just like waiting. Like just it's just like having a profile up on Tinder, but waiting for someone to like swipe right. Like what? Oh, it was awful because everyone knew we were like we're going to try to adopt. So every time we saw our family, they're like, "Any word?" And we we're like, "No, no." <laughs> like waiting for someone to call, like sitting by the phone, waiting for someone to call, like back in high school. Exactly, and they would send you every month. You get an update. Like eight people looked at your profile. It's like, oh, nobody. And then like oh, a year into it, it was like twenty women looked at your profile, and you came in third once. We were like, "What? We didn't even come in third all year." Like we didn't realize that was even <laughs> came something. in third, like compared to all the other profiles. So yeah. Like, so even when we were only, you know, even on the the less fruitful months, we didn't even yeah. come in third for a whole year. And then we were like, "This is oh, wow. we're not good at this. That's this might not work out." Tough. Yeah. Because I'm sure you were like, well, what can we do differently? Or like what, you know, but you have no control over it really at that point, right? Yeah, we did put different pictures on our profile. Also, there's sort of different categories for mental health or drug use or race or these different things. So if you're really tight, they kept saying, if you want a a white blonde baby girl, it's going to take a while. And I was like, that's gross. 
So we opened up our filters a little bit and then okay. we were presented mean. to more birth mothers. Gotcha. Okay. Um, that makes sense. And we did change our profile pictures. But by the time the birth mother chose us, she was a different race than we were. And when we talked to her over the phone, she was like, are you going to tell this boy he's adopted? And we were like, yeah, yeah. Like, we're white. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think she had thought it through all the way. Or she was scamming us. That happens. So Mm. 15% of adoptions fall through. Wow. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't either until a friend told me. <laughs> yeah. Again, again, how, how would we know? Yeah. So right. then that was kind of a rickety relationship. So was she this the some, first one, the first time you went through it when you talked to this woman? Or was yes. this? Okay. This was our first match. And then we, she had some legal issues also. And there was a lot of stuff that we had said no to that we were like, well, actually it's okay. If she has been arrested, that's not a reflection of this bait. You know, all, all we want is for him to be healthy. We don't care mm-hmm. about anything else. That's all situational. But then her situation kept getting more and more complicated and we would try to go visit and she kept putting it off. And then we eventually flew out the day after Christmas and had the weirdest lunch of our lives with this woman and her two kids she was eight months pregnant and her boyfriend. And we were like, you know, they were looking at us like, who the fuck are you? And we're like, Hi. I mean, it was just so nerve wracking. And then after that, she was due in early January. It just started to get really dicey. And she was like, I don't know how I'm going to tell my kids about this. And I'm not sure. And and the lawyer, the caseworkers for the lawyer were like, it's fine. All birth mothers freak out. Just relax. And I was like, she needs a therapist. Like she needs a social worker. And then it did, she did have the baby. My husband found out while I was working. And then two days later, we got a call from the lawyer that a mother, a birth mother, a woman had given birth in the Valley in California and wanted a closed adoption. So we were able to, I mean, we, then we drove, it was, we were in the depths of grief. Yeah. We went to this hospital met Bruce. That was Bruce. Oh, Bruce. We were just like, we don't know. We don't know anything about this baby, but they did a quick like assessment with the mom. And, um, I mean, there's, I can't remember the the legal word for it, but the, an advisement, they have to work with the birth mother to make sure she's advised of her rights and you know, what, what exactly legally is about to happen. And she was really sure she wanted to place. And, and then that day we went in Sunday morning early and then like Sunday at 3 p.m. they were like okay go get the car seat what go ahead you can it happen that off. quickly yeah so it was you're so amazing off, so you're coming <clears throat> off this one that had fallen through but and had you signed any like paperwork or how buttoned up was everything before she you know you found out that she had had the baby did you ever talk to her again and did she say sorry I changed my mind or was it just like she sent me a text the day after saying, so sorry, with an emoji with a flat mouth. Know what I mean? Like, okay. yeah, it was, it was so awful. We were so sad and mad. But, but ideally, I mean, ideally, at the end of the day, that's what's best for that baby. I don't know if she scammed us or if she just felt like she didn't have any support and she realized she did have support. That's what's best for that baby to be. Yeah with its natural mother. So if that's what she wanted, I, that's great. I mean, it's not, it doesn't feel great, but right. it is great for that baby. Wow. Um, but when she was just like, so, so sorry. I mean, there were times where she was like, I don't know how I'm going to tell my daughter about this, LOL. I was like, that's not 
<laughs> it's, it's not, not funny. Like, like LOL situation. Not at all. Yeah. Oh man. So she had sent that text, and then I just said, "We wish you well." I mean, I showed it to my husband, and I was like, "I hate her. I'm so sad." You know, I was so sad and mad. But like, she was. She's 23. Right. She has a, such. A, difficult circumstances that I was like, we do wish her well. I don't want, you know, of course, of course. even if she did scam us, that's desperate. That's someone who's desperate for three months of rent. Not like, but so, so scamming you in terms us. of you had exchanged some, some money at some point. Is that what you mean? Yeah. You support the birth mother for the last kind of trimester. That's okay. kind of the deal. Like you pay their living expenses. Okay. And okay. Like okay. that. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So that happened, but then Bruce came along and then that was, Bruce. sounds like it was just a whirlwind. So were you guys like, what just happened? Do we have a son? <laughs> we were. And also when we had planned for this, this the Michigan birth mother, we told everyone a week out again, like we're going to tell everybody we're so excited. And then all of our friends got us all these gifts. So when that fell through, we had all, we had like, like uh, Brian had painted the nursery. We had this all ready to go. So we were just like, that Friday and Saturday, we were like, we have to put this stuff away. We have to clean up as much as possible. And then Saturday, we do have a baby. All of a sudden, you know, Sunday we came home, we did, we did have a baby, but we had a stroller. We had a changing table. So we came home Sunday night. Brian put together this pack and play. We, got, we had gotten tons of hand-me-down clothes. So we were, I was going through the clothes like, this is newborn. This is zero to three months. Mm-hmm. This is how you change a diaper. His umbilical cords. Like we were just, it was like a crash. It's so much so fast. I think we were in shock for the first three weeks. I'm sure. Month. Yeah. yeah. And this is new. You said he's how many weeks old now? 10 and a half? Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this just happened. You're still probably trying to process it all. I would imagine. Oh, no way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> You're like, no, we got this. We got this. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So what's your favorite part of being a mom and being Bruce's mom? Well, I we we did have a meeting with our social worker. When you, when you adopt, you have to meet like once a month. You have to get screened first of all and fingerprinted and blood tests and all sorts of stuff. And then you meet with a social worker to do a home study because you're basically fostering until they're legally adopted. It's a lot of scrutiny. It's hard on another level because you have to talk about all your losses and all of your relationships in your life. But then once you're on the path and once you have a baby, it's like very exciting. And I remember having said to Brian, like, I don't want to have conversations with everyone like, oh, you adopted. Okay. That baby doesn't look like you. Or, you know, I was like, that was a big issue about adoption for me where I was like, I just want to look, I just want to have a normal family. Obviously there are no normal families, but (laughs) um, Bruce does resemble us. He's, he's not, his background isn't the same as our backgrounds at all, but he does resemble us some. And I think people think he is my natural son when we take him out, our biological son. But I quickly, if they're like, oh, he's born with a full head of hair. I'm like, well, he's adopted. It's not, you know, it's not something that is, I can't take responsibility for it. And I'm really happy to have this conversation with people. And I do feel, we were just like, I don't want to be the advocate for adoption. And now I do feel strongly about it. Like there are these babies who have this need and it's a, it's such a fulfilling thing to do. And I also want to put in a caveat that our social worker said this morning, she was like, well, don't do that his whole life. When he's a child, let him choose when to tell people mm-hmm. he's adopted. Don't go marching around going, this boy is adopted because he might not always want to have that conversation. But right, something changed where I feel fiercely proud about it and very 
protective. I don't think that makes sense, but no, that makes I sense. do feel protective of him, but I, I feel very proud of it, which is a huge, when we started that journey, I felt like this is our last hope. We're sad people. And now I just feel like, I mean, two weeks in, my husband was like, let's get another one. Oh my <laughs> God. Said, would you? Is that off the uh, I think we would foster this time. Yeah. Yeah. Because the need is so great. And when I think about all the money that was spent on IVF, I wish I could have known that sooner, that mm-hmm. that money could go other places. And that one of the midwives said to us also, they're not, they're not really ours. I mean, we have them for 18 years or so, and then they go off into the world even though biology felt so important to me, she's like, they're, they're their own people. We don't own these babies. We don't own these children. They're their own people. So yeah, there is no normal family. (laughs) Hey guys. So that was my conversation with Jean. Sorry. It ended kind of abruptly. I am still new at this. So like a dummy, I, stopped recording before she and I had wrapped up our conversation and said our goodbyes. So that's why it sounded kind of weird. But anyway, thanks for bearing with us. Thanks for listening. And if you're into this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate it and pass it along to a friend who might like it. Thank you so much. Talk soon.